0: Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers is a bi-weekly podcast presented by Partners in Promise. Partners in Promise is a nonprofit dedicated to protecting the rights of military children in special education. Large organizations like the military have learned to love the status quo, but at Partners in Promise, we believe in being disruptive as we have learned that having easy conversations rarely leads to real change. In special education or in the military. We are storytellers who aren't afraid to get a little disruptive. Disruptive Storytelling is sponsored by the Modern Military Association of America. Founded in 1993, MMAA is the nation's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing fairness and equality. For the LGBTQ military and veteran community. Learn more about what the changemakers at MMAA are up to at modernmilitary.org. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Jennifer Barnhill. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Partners in Promise, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jillian Johnson. In addition to being a freelance writer, Jillian is a proud Air Force spouse, self proclaimed Slytherin, and an all around creative soul. She's a California girl adjusting to Southern life with her husband, three kids, and three fur children. She's currently pursuing a degree in psychology with a focus in child and adolescent development, and is an active volunteer within the Robbins Air Force Base community. In her spare time, Jillian enjoys reading, music, gaming, and crafting. Jillian is also LGBTQ+, and that is one reason why she is here to talk with us today. Jillian is passionate about bridging the gap to understanding between the cis and LGBTQIA plus communities. Let's learn a little bit more about Jillian's story. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers. This episode, I'm talking with Jillian Johnson, and you just heard a little bit about her, but I wanted to introduce her to you and let her introduce herself a little bit. So Jillian, I know we met when we started working with Partners in Promise about um, EFMP, and you came to us and shared. Uh, your son's story about being twice exceptional and being a parent of a child who is enrolled in EFMP. And so I know that there's a lot of stigma surrounding, you know, EFMP, and that's kind of why we're here today having these conversations, but the other, you know, there's a personal side to it too. Everyone kind of has their own individual experiences with stigma. And I know we, we asked you to come here today to share your, a little bit about your story that maybe people don't know about you other than you're a writer and you work to advocate for military families as a writer. So can you, can you share a little bit about why we're here today to talk about stigma and your experiences with the topic?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So not only am I also what you would call twice exceptional is neurodivergent and gifted. Well, I was as a kid anyway. I'm also part of the LGBTQIA community. I am pansexual. And a lot of times when people learn this about me, especially in the military community, they're kind of shocked. There still is a stigma surrounding being LGBTQIA, especially as a military spouse. And it's something I kind of want to bring awareness to. Because a lot of times, a lot of us are in what you would call heteronormative or heteropassing relationships. You know, people make the assumption as, oh, you're straight or, oh, you're this, or you've chosen a side. But the truth is, is it doesn't change who we are or how we love. And that's kind of something I want to bring awareness to.
0: Absolutely. And so just to give everyone kind of a framework that we can work within, can you define some of these terms that you've used? Because we want to just... Start from scratch and pretend that people aren't as familiar with, maybe they've heard of LGBTQ, but they don't know what the other, you know, all the new acronyms are. I know that that sounds naive because I think in this day and age, probably a lot of people are familiar, but words matter, right? So we, it's important for us to define the, these words for our audience. So can you give a little bit of a background of some of these definitions for folks?
1: Sure. Would you like me to go through the entire list?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I would say maybe, I don't know. I like, I don't think we need to really define, but I know a lot of times when we're talking about using words that end up being positive or negative. So some of the ways that we use words as someone who would be considered, you know, quote unquote straight, which how does that word straight, what does that word mean to you? And is there a better word? maybe that's where we can start with that conversation that you would kind of give people an insight into how, how these labels feel as somebody who maybe has for part of their lives, not been able to be accepted or embraced by people around you.
1: Right. Well, honestly, the word straight doesn't really bother me. Then again, I don't, I mean, I I guess I can say I tried to identify that way, particularly after I came out, because when I came out, I was a teenager and it, it was a very controversial thing and I was ostracized a lot. And it was kind of... So what I would say is, as far as like defining terms and labels, I think that defining terms and labels help us get to know ourselves. I don't think necessarily that we... Most of us use them for other people. I mean, yeah, it's okay to explain to other people with the label because it's an easy explanation, quote unquote. But when we talk about labels, I identify as pansexual. Pansexuality, in a nutshell, is a term used to describe a person who loves people literally for who they are. I joke with my husband all the time that I did not fall in love with his gender or his biological sex because the two are very different. I fell in love with him as a person, uh, the other stuff doesn't come into play unless, well, you know, we're not gonna go past PG here, but also in terms of like how he wants to be identified and how he wants to be treated and it helps him feel respected. So there, that comes into play later. But when we're talking about like, besides the labels like lesbian, gay, we all know what those are, right? Lesbian is women who love women, gay or men who love men. Then you have bisexual who are people who love both both genders. Then you have transgender who is a person who feels, you know, they're, they're transgender. They are a male who want who is actually female or a female who is actually male as far as gender is concerned. And then you have Q, which is queer. It's usually used for people who don't really want to identify as anything in particular or who don't necessarily know who they are so they use queer. And then you have intersex. So a lot of intersex people are born as what you would call hermaphrodites or they are female on the outside but have male like testicles instead of ovaries on the inside or they are male on the outside but they have ovaries instead of testicles you know, things like that. And then you have asexual people who literally are not sexually attracted to anyone at all. And then you have the plus. So the plus kind of incorporates pansexual people and people who may identify outside of the realm of LGBTQIA because, you know, it's a really long term. You have demisexual people, you have panromantic demisexual people. So demisexual people are literally people who must have an emotional attachment to someone in order to be able to form a relationship with them that is intimate. And then you have pan romantic demisexual people who are people who fall in love with somebody's soul doesn't matter gender. And then, of course, they fall in love with people based on emotional attachment. So kind of the same concept, only it gender isn't really added in. So yeah, I mean, that's how I would define those terms personally, but as far as using an actual label, I think we, we do it to explain ourselves, sure, but I think it also helps us to define who we are in a sense, and some people don't like to use them, and that's
0: okay too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I appreciate that, that I, I feel like I've learned something already from this conversation and I thought I knew, you know, and do my research that I knew some of the terms. So thank you for sharing that. One other, you know, area we were talking about with stigma is the idea that these labels feel permanent because it's something that's identifiable about us that we can't change about ourselves. You know, we're born this way and, you know, other people might not agree that that is the case, that people are born with this genetic code that helps define who we are, but that being said, we do use a lot of these labels and these labels can be used and impact us negatively. Um, they st- the stigma can impact us negatively. So you mentioned earlier, you know, that you're using these labels and you use them when you were younger. Can you kind of talk to us about the process of kind of figuring out those labels for yourself and who you, who you came to be and how you identified? And I don't know, again, we'll go back to definitions. Do you consider when you first learned or encountered these terms you know did you encounter them when you were younger or did you only come to discover them when you were older how did you kind of come to uh, finding out a little bit more of who you are
1: so when I was younger I was about eight years old I actually ended up developing a crush an innocent crush on another little girl back then I didn't have labels like that Uh, my mom had a gay friend who rented the guest house on our property but that's really the only term I really knew Because he had a boyfriend that was also my mom's friend and they hung out a lot and they came around me and they were really nice people. So it's really the only term I really knew, but I developed a crush on a girl thinking, you know, oh, that's okay. That's normal. But apparently it wasn't. And I won't go into much more detail about that because it really hurts. But suffice it to say, I actually came out because I liked boys too. I found out later I liked boys too. Uh, And when I was about 13 and a half years old, I came out as bisexual and I was dating a girl. And I wrote, I actually wrote about this in the HuffPost article that I showed you.
0: And we'll post that in the show notes. So for everyone wants to read it, we'll post that for you.
1: Sure. So when I came out, well, at first we tried to keep our relationship secret because both of us were like, you know, there's a really big, like, because we lived in a really small town. And when you live in a really small town, a lot of times, and I hate to say it, there's some really small minds. And back then people were not accepting of LGBTQIA because there really wasn't a lot of understanding. And so when we were eventually found out, we were called all kinds of really awful names. And I don't really know what you can use on this show, but one of them was Dyke and, a lot of people, like a lot of our friends turned their backs on us, you know, a lot stayed too, but a lot of people turned their backs on us. A lot of people like ridiculed us constantly. And because we were young, I think it led to like the downfall of our relationship, quote unquote, because, you know, we were teenagers, we were like in eighth grade. And, you know, so, and then my mom, of course, you know, she's really good hearted and all that. And she's really accepting, but she called it a face told me that I would grow out of it. But the only term I really knew how to describe myself was bisexual because back then there wasn't a whole lot of understanding of like, you know, things beyond female and male. There was no like, yeah, sure there were transgender people but like I said, the understanding just wasn't there. And because of where we lived, we didn't really, we didn't really know or hear about it. So the only label I really knew was bisexual. And I had heard it from a friend of mine, actually, after I had started dating the girl. And so that's how I identified when I was younger. But one thing that I always knew about myself was that it always went deeper than that. Because when I started dating people later, I actually dated somebody who was non-binary That's another term that is used in gender circles a lot. Um, They don't identify as either or that as they or them. I recognize that I actually liked dating people, not necessarily like boy or girl or anything like that, just people. And when I heard the term pansexual, gosh, it was only a few years ago. I was like, and I read about it. I'm like, that's me. That's how I've always been and it helped me discover like how I love and what that entails and why I'm not initially attracted to a person when I first see them, because that is truth. I'm not initially attracted to a person when I first see them. Like I can see them and be like, Oh, you're cute. But I'm not like captivated until I start talking to them or I get to know them. So I think that As we've made new strides in trying to understand the community and understand quote-unquote labels, we've come to understand more about people and how they are. Um, And as far as change is concerned, because I remember you mentioned asking me something about how do we discover, honest to goodness, I think sexuality is fluid. I think a lot of people can be set in like, hey, I'm heterosexual and that's okay, hey, I'm lesbian and that's okay. Hey, I'm gay and that's okay. But I think as we go uh, like through our lives, as we go from younger to older, we understand the fluidity because eventually a lot of us are what we call late bloomers. We come out late, like some are late blooming lesbians, some are late blooming gay, some are late blooming bisexuals. And that fluidity kind of adds into the whole, you know, it, it adds into discovering who we are and Honestly, I think it's I think it's cool personally. And I think that the more that we shed light and we spread awareness and good information to people, the more that they can understand us without being terrified or afraid, as a lot of people outside of our community tend to be.
0: Absolutely. And you know, in speaking with experts on stigma, they do discuss how that connection to a human, a person actually helps mitigate the feelings of stigma and how we treat each other as human beings. And so although we may not know that we're encountering someone who's different than ourselves, you know, asking each other questions and getting to know each other and finding out those differences is so important. So absolutely. You know, you talked about, you know, your reception as a child and and then now that you've kind of come to your, into your own of knowing more about yourself and finding these labels that you're okay with and that you, you know, you give yourself and you own them since owning being pansexual. How has, has that been received by, you know, your spouse, by your friends? And then ultimately how has that been received by the military community?
1: So my spouse obviously is okay with it. He understands how I love and it. Honestly, it's helped our relationship because he He personally used to never really think of himself as what we would call, you know, good looking and things, even though I think he's absolutely gorgeous. And so when he figured out how it is I really love, he was, you know, he was actually thrilled because it helped him understand why I was so quote unquote crazy about him, which I don't I don't understand how he could think that because he's amazing, but whatever, I digress. Uh, And as far as my friends, they're 100% okay. I haven't really gotten any, uh, you know, negative feedback from like the people close to me. There have been some in the military community that have been like, you know, they come from religious backgrounds usually, who tell me that it doesn't matter, it shouldn't matter, why does a label matter, and normally, I, I will just say this, normally they are heterosexual, a lot of times I'll be told like, hey, you chose a side, you're, you're doing this, you're glorifying God, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here going, but it doesn't change who I am. And I'm not going to lie to myself about who I am. And I'm not going to lie to others because I, I don't subscribe to that. I, I just, I don't. And it, that's not just, that's not a religious thing to me. That's a moral thing to me. And I've always tried to be the example, I guess you can say. I've always tried to be loving and accepting of everybody that I know. Unless, of course, they're a racist or a bigot, then I have a real problem with, you know, I have a problem with that. A huge problem with that. Because I feel like it's small-mindedness. And if they refuse to be educated, then whatever. That's a totally different topic. But I feel like there's enough hate in the world and I don't need to contribute to it even with people who are less accepting of me, but I can't choose who I, who I have around and who I don't. But yeah, I mean, the people who are still in my life are very much accepting. The people who are not in my life were obviously the ones that aren't, or we just don't like each other for another reason. But either way, it's mostly positively received. I will be honest with you though, I had like the military community, it's touch and go. I have to be careful what I say about myself to maybe like leadership for example. I can't just be out with it. At least I don't feel like I can be. Yeah, I mean the military spouse community, I mean I've I haven't really seen personally myself a lot of pushback, but I have I have gotten some. And not necessarily in a negative light like but more of like they were well meaning but didn't realize what they were saying was hurtful. Does that make sense?
0: it does yeah and can you give an example for people who maybe are well meaning but don't want to kind of put their foot in their mouth but have done so can you give us an example of how we can learn from the mistakes of others and avoid putting you in those positions in the future
1: so if i come out, if i were to come out to you okay let, let's have the conversation together okay not saying you're one of these people but that it will help so okay. jennifer
0: yes Jillian.
1: i wanted to let you like i'm coming out to you i'm pansexual One of the things that you should never say to a person who is, who identifies as something other than heterosexual is, well, you've chosen a side
0: or, oh, well, you know, so just to interrupt a little, what do you mean by chosen a side? What do you think they mean by that? Because to me, to me, I don't, I don't think that how that there are, there are sides
1: (laughs) male and female, right? Oh yeah. So for example, you know, lesbian women, like women. Gay men like men. Bisexual people like men and women. All right. And then there's me who's pansexual, who loves everyone or doesn't everyone, depending on who they are. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I am in a heterosexual relationship or heteropassing relationship. Let's just say that because I am not heterosexual. I am in a heteropassing relationship because I married my husband. Okay. I love this man. I love this man to pieces. And I call him a man because that is how he identifies. And that is who he is. But for me, it's more or less, I love a person, right? I love this person. I love, I love this person with my, to my, like with all my soul. So a lot of people have come to me and like, oh, well, your sexuality doesn't matter because you've, you know, you married a guy. So like, you know, what? What does it matter? And I'm like sitting here going, but to you, it would matter more if I were married to a girl, because to you that would be quote unquote unnatural. Not you per se, but but what basically they're saying to me is, you know, my identity and how I love doesn't matter. And while normally I take that kind of thing with a grain of salt from a a person who I don't really know or like I'm not close to, it it would hurt more coming from a person I'm close to. And I've heard things like that. And like I said. They didn't necessarily mean it to say that I'm a terrible person or whatever, but I don't think people understand that when you basically try to invalidate part of someone that you're supposed to know and be close to, that it actually really hurts. It's like me saying to someone who loves like crafting or sewing or board games that, oh, your hobby doesn't matter. That's not part of you it is an inherent part of them because it's something that they like. It's something that they love. And while they can prefer to love that, I can't prefer, I can't choose who I love. Just I can't choose who I love any more than you can. Maybe gender plays a role for other people, but it doesn't for me. But once I get to know somebody, if I love them, I love them. You can't help that. So I, I hope I'm explaining this right, because I feel like I'm like, going off on a tangent, but I'm really passionate about this. Like, I feel like we need to create an understanding that not everybody is going to adhere. Don't judge a book by its cover because not everybody is going to adhere to the things that you think and feel. If you're really open minded and you're really learning to try to accept people, then you need to start listening. And that's something that I hope that more people will start doing, like really start doing because One of the most hurtful things you can say to a person who is coming out to you is that either A, it doesn't matter in the sense of, oh, well, you already do this. So why does it matter? Or, or this is another good one. I love you, but I don't condone it. Usually it's a religious thing. And I will say to, I will say to everybody out there you're you're cause you're part of the cause of religious trauma in a lot of lgbtqia people you're a re- one of the reasons a lot of people turn away from the church is because they don't feel loved and accepted as they truly are like that is 100% fact
0: yeah it's it's so hard i mean cuz you're we're talking about a couple different institutions right we're talking about the the church is one obviously large institution and then the military is another and often, I I have noticed, I don't know about you, but in the military community, there's a feeling that you almost need to rush through pain or rush through something that isn't easy. And sometimes when I can only imagine that coming out is not one of those easy things. And so, no you know, and so we want to make it better by rushing through that deployment or rushing through the tragedy instead of kind of just sitting with that sadness or sitting with that gray area or the thing that's hard. And I, I, I speculate cause I, you know, you and I, I, I don't know about you, but as a writer, I, I speculate a lot. So I speculate oh, yeah. that a lot of, <laughs> a lot of that discomfort with other people's stories is just this fear of, you know, wanting to rush through these problems because that's how we have to live our lives in, in that, deployment cycle of let's make it work. Let's make it work. And right. and almost like, I want to fix your problem, but what people are defining as a problem is is not a problem, right? It's who you are. It's not a problem to be solved. Right.
1: <laughs> to add to what you're saying too, and not just to rush through it, but I feel like they do that because they're afraid of something that they don't understand. It's human nature to fear what we don't understand or what we've always been taught is quote unquote wrong or unnatural. And so when we shed light on these things for people, it can go one of two ways, really. You can educate somebody and help them be better to others or they continue with their stuff. Like you, And the other hard part too, is you can't control how that situation is going to play out. So like, if I come out to somebody, I'm usually terrified because if I formed a connection with them, like as a friend, like in, especially in the military spouse community, man, you need friends, you need support. I've learned that a lot through the last two deployments in two years. It's scary for me because like they expect this, they, the, I think the expectation they're going in is like, you're a straight person. Like you're a heterosexual person who lives a quote unquote normal life. But, and I mean, for the most part, my life is pretty normal. I'm i I'm monogamous. So my, it's just me and my husband and our three kids, of course, but that's different because they're my children. And I I clean house, I cook, I, I like to read. I like to write, as you know, I write, play video games, that kind of thing. And I hang out with my friends and, you know, so I do live a normal life in that sense. I I think that when you have an expectation and it's shattered and you don't understand, I think it can create that initial reaction of, oh my gosh, no, or, oh, that's not that's not good. I don't condone that because people just don't understand. And because they're taught things that are out, like they're not taught about it in a way that creates understanding. It can create ignorance. I, I mean, there's no other word for it. It's ignorance.
0: Not everyone's going to find themselves in those positions where they get that person coming out to them. So for those people who don't get to have that scenario play out, before them. And and then they get to feel like, oh, I did it right. I, you know, I I was a supportive friend. How would you advise folks? Obviously there's, there's tons of books I'm sure people can access. How would you advise people approach this learning and this understanding for people who are interested in growing in this way?
1: So first off, if your friend is coming out to you and your response is, your response, if you don't know what the, what it means, for example, you can say, hey, I'm so glad that you felt that I was a safe place for you to come out to. However, I don't understand, I don't understand this. Can you please explain it? Most of us are more than happy to explain. But if you want to do your own research, there's a lot, a lot of different websites. The Trevor Project is good. Um, they do deal with helping LGBTQ young youth and young people. They try to. They, their whole mission is to help keep them from committing suicide, but they're a really good source of information. I've got other ally organizations too. Gosh, off the top of my
0: head, the Modern Military Association of America is the largest a LGBTQ organization. They're actually a sponsor of this podcast, so they get <laughs> a couple different plugs here. But they're also a great resource, and and Jen Dane, the executive director over there, is a wonderful a- ally as well. So I highly recommend checking out their website.
1: And I had never heard of them, so thank you, because I want to check them out. I want to reach out, because I feel like I would love to work with them. So if you're hearing this, I'd love to work
0: with them. I'm sure you'll get a call.
1: (laughs) But yeah, no, I, uh, resources like that, they're available everywhere. I mean, you can Google the term pansexual, and the definition pops right up. You can Google, like, intersex, queer. The terms pop right up. I mean, we have Urban Dictionary now who recognizes all these terms too, as well as a lot of other colorful terms. Um, but when it comes down to it, the, the understanding is there. It just really is up to the person as to whether or not they want to understand. They, they choose to understand. And I would encourage everyone, no matter your upbringing, no matter your background, to really try to do some research and try to understand people who are different from you in any way. Whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's neurodivergence, whether they're a strange hobby of listening to serial killer podcasts. I mean, do that.
0: And so there are so many resources. And I think for folks who are, I'm going to use that air quotes on a podcast, which is like a no, no, the air quotes of normal, right? They're normal. They- people who are interested in learning more can't really walk around with a sign on the front of them that says, I want a gay friend. I want a black friend. I want a, you know, but I think that people just need to find ways. And this is for me personally, my experience is to put yourself out there and try not to just form easy friendships. It's because those easy friendships are just that they're easy. And they're, it's so tempting as a military spouse, to fall into those easy friendships because you have a lot in common and it just makes one aspect of your life a little simpler. Whereas if you go out of your way to make friends with someone you might not have previously met and made friends with, you are more likely to encounter people who are different than you and give yourself those opportunities to get to know diverse, diverse people and, and make new friendships. That's my like soapbox is, easy friendships are not always, I mean, they're great. Of course (laughs) we all love them, but you know, just on, on the flip side, you know, it's probably not easy for you to stay friends with those people who have hurt you in the past, you know, but like some of those quality friends who have hurt you that you've maintained those relationships with, I'm sure it's because there's something good That's still connecting you, you know, even though they hurt you. And so I I think that we have so many opportunities to get to know people who are different than us. And I just am so thankful that you're coming here, um, chatting with me. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience about your experience with stigma, whether that be, you know, as an exceptional learner or in your life as a pansexual uh, adult?
1: I would like to say one thing going out to everybody, because there's a lot of people who are still in the closet. All right. And because there's a lot of people out there who don't feel like they have a safe space. All right. I've met a few such people. And because a lot of them feel like they're not going to be accepted and they're not going to be heard. And it may not necessarily be anything that you're consciously doing, or it may not even be you. But I will say the best thing that you can do for somebody, anybody, any of your friends, because you never know, is just whenever they have something to say, listen, whenever they say something that you don't agree with, don't necessarily just jump down their throat, try to understand why they feel that way. If you have any way to educate them, do it. But ultimately the listening under and showing understanding and compassion, these are three excellent ways for you to be a safe place for somebody particularly somebody who is in the closet, but wants to come out or feels afraid to come out or is feeling like they're not worthy because they are a certain way while everybody else is another way. For example, someone who is bisexual, pansexual, gay, while everybody else around them is straight and they wonder how, why am I not like that? So if you give them a space where they have, like, that is, that doesn't promote shame. And promotes love and acceptance and understanding and compassion, you will be a safe place for them and it will help them more than you know. And I have spoken. That's all I have to say.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jillian, for coming on the podcast today and talking with me about your experiences with stigma. And thank you for all that you do in our community. And we will post a lot of the links that you mentioned in the show notes for anyone who wants to connect and I assume we can also link out to your complete story that you you published, give a little bit more background into into what Jillian has gone through in her life. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you, Jennifer. Have a wonderful day. If you are experiencing feelings of shame as a result of stigma, know that you are not alone, there are resources available to you. This could look like contacting your military inspector general in case of systemic issues or seeking free counseling services via Military OneSource online or by calling them at 800-342-9647. Want to share your disruptive story? Contact us at info at or visit us on our website at thepromiseact.org.